I invite you to turn with me in uh, your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I'm going to start a uh, verse earlier than I've given you in the passage. I've given you an outline, and uh, I was hoping to cover a little bit more today than, uh, than I'm going to be able to. But uh, when, uh, when we're sitting down to lunch and we're not late for that, you'll thank me. And, uh, and I'll be happy too. And I won't run over, but uh, I've got a lot of material on my first point, as you see there, but we'll tackle the second part uh, next week. And that's kind of good because it, it'll leave us, um, you know, you see the second point is about hypocrisy. So that's a little bit of a harder word than the first part. So uh, I think it, it'll, it'll lend to more of a festive atmosphere if we're not all being called hypocrites at the end of the sermon. You might appreciate that. But don't let that keep, a, keep you away from, from here next week. Uh, Well, let's read God's word from verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now I'm going to skip down a little ways because next week is when we're going to deal with uh, this account of Ananias and Sapphira. But let's slip down to uh, verse uh, 12. Of chapter 5. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word this morning. In the last few years, uh, I have had the opportunity to learn a little about cooking. And and I can say that I, I really enjoy cooking. And I think it's because cooking a meal is a job with some immediate results. Um, You cook the meal and it's finished and then you can enjoy it. Uh, It's either good, bad, or mediocre product, uh, but either way, you got something at the end that's that's done and and if it's bad, you can be with it, over with it quickly. Being a pastor, that job on the other hand, uh, you know, it's a job that's not finished until you die. Or, or the Lord comes back because you're, you're working, you're, you're always working. It's a work in progress as we seek to follow Christ through this life. So being a pastor, there's, there's not a lot of uh, final results to being a pastor. So I like doing jobs where there's an end and I can sit back and see the finished product. And cooking is one of those things. Cooking gives me that opportunity to get the final result and I get a sense of satisfaction from it. Well, I'm certainly not a gourmet cook, but I can follow a recipe. I have learned most of the cooking terms, and I have the basic skill set necessary 
to pull off simple meals. And best of all, I've got a great cook on hand in Sarah who, who bails me out when I get in over my head. So that's really, really nice, and, and I have that safety net behind me. So uh, I will occasionally browse recipes on the Internet uh, or uh, on, in cookbooks. Sarah's got a bunch of cookbooks that, I, that I'll look at from time to time and, and uh, try to find something that I feel like I can do. And uh, I noticed uh, about recipe books or even recipes on the Internet that there's almost always a picture uh, with the recipe, a picture of the final product. And it's, it's important to me. I, I find it very important because you want to know what the dish is supposed to look like when it's finished. And uh, mine never seems to look as good as the pictures in, in, the, uh, in the recipe books. But still, you know, uh, I guess as the saying goes, I can get close enough for government work. And, uh, you know, so pictures are important because you want to know what it's supposed to look like at the end. Well, in this text before us today, we get a picture of the early church in the New Testament. Uh, in these first several chapters that we've been looking at and, and, the, and the several that come afterwards, we see the church begin with a massive increase in numbers, thousands coming into the church. We see signs and wonders being done by the apostles. We just read about people being healed. And, uh, and we also see, mixed with that great success, uh, some some difficulties come upon the church. We see we see uh, some uh, persecution from outside the church, and we see, as we'll look at in the next week or in two or three, that there's even some difficulties inside the church, like hypocrisy, and then a controversy in chapter six about taking care of widows, and some people thinking there's favoritism. So there's uh, several difficulties that the church navigates through in the first several chapters of the books of Acts. And so, so as we study these chapters, we get a, a picture of what a spirit-filled church should look like. Uh, we see a church that's growing, flourishing, and, and uh, at the height of excitement, but we also see a church that's going through difficulties and navigating through them successfully. Now, of course, it's not as simple uh, as following a recipe, because God is the one who causes the growth. But we do see a path for our church, uh, a path of faithfulness. How can we be a faithful church uh, as we travel this life, as we seek to be uh, the church here in Biloxi and along the Gulf Coast? How can we be faithful to the Lord? What should we look like? We see that here. What, what should the product be? Well, if we look at verse 31, you'll notice there that it says, uh, after they had gone through the, some persecution by the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees especially and the Sanhedrin, uh, you know, they uh, attacked Peter and John and told them not to be preaching in the name of Christ and they had them arrested and thrown in jail for a time. And, uh, and then they re released them, and that's the context of verse 31. They met back with all the believers, and it says, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered uh, together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So uh, they went back, they had been persecuted, and now they're praying 
for the Lord to give them boldness, and he does. He gives them boldness to continue on uh, seeking to build up the church of Christ. Now, a couple of things linguistically and biblically that I want to share with you uh, just to help us understand this a little bit better. Um, if you, if you, well, you see here that we're, we're, we're doing the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. Those verse numbers in chapter uh, divisions were added long after these, these Luke wrote the book of Acts. The chapter and verse numbers really don't have any significance to the meaning of the text. Someone put them in there for reference, so it's easy to find uh, places in the Bible and different verses in the Bible. So uh, sometimes, uh, on, on occasions, you'll look at where they divide the, the scriptures from one chapter to another, and you go, what were they thinking? You know, why did this is, you know, the end of chapter 4 is, is obviously uh, the beginning of the story that's continued on in chapter 5. So sometimes it seems a bit arbitrary, and sometimes you can see why they might have done that. Anyway, I just wanted you to make sure you know that chapter and verses, the, those numbers really are, are meaningless. Because, and, I, and I'm telling you this because verse 31 says something, and then verse 32 seems to give you a new thought, but it actually is a continuation of the same thing that Luke's telling you. Luke likes to use the word and, um, and, and that word is de in de, or the Greek equivalent of d and e, a very small word, but it means and, but it's also translated a number of different ways. And in our text, Luke uses that word. Uh, and, the, and the best uh, way I can tell you that he's writing here is kind of like an uh, uh, elementary school kid when you get back to school in September and the teacher says, I want you to write an essay on what you did on your summer vacation. And uh, the, the, the young student might say, well, we got out of school and we went to Disneyland, and then we went to uh, the swimming pool, and then we went to see uh, grandma, grandma and, and then we played baseball, and then, and then, and then, you know, they just pile up a list of things that happen. Luke's doing that here a little bit, because the word and is repeated over and over, though in our translation, you don't see that. Uh, I'll tell you the places that he uses the word and, just some of them, but paragraphs begin starting word. In verse 32, it says, now the full number. When we read that in English, we're, we tend to think he's starting a new thought. Verse 31, the, the, they, they prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now. That seems to think, you tend to think that it's a new thought, a new paragraph, but it really is the word and there. So they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak with boldness, or they kept speaking with boldness, and the full number of those who believed were of one heart. See, it's a continuation of being filled with the Spirit. That's the point I'm making here. The being filled with the Spirit made them speak with boldness, but it also did these other several things that you read in 32, 33, all the way through 35. They were of one heart and soul because they were filled with the Spirit. They had everything in common because they were filled with the Spirit. With great power they were giving testimony because they were filled with the Spirit. 
That's the point I'm making here in, in this long, convoluted uh, uh, explanation that I'm giving you right now. They are filled with a spirit, and that's the important key. Uh, these things, these characteristics the early church had were because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what sets apart the New Testament church from the people of God in the Old Testament. Here in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are given the Holy Spirit. What does it mean here that they are filled with the Holy Spirit? There's lots of, of teaching regarding the Holy Spirit that's bad in our day and time. Uh, some people believe that, uh, that being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that happens after you become a Christian. Uh, a subsequent occurrence uh, uh, being, they call it being baptized. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to conversion? The Bible does not support that. What happened at Pentecost was the church was given the Holy Spirit. And throughout Acts, that, that episode is repeated as people groups are, in, uh, are, are uh, receiving the gospel. The Samaritans are, are baptized with the Spirit, and they have the same experience that the people in Acts 2 had. And then uh, the Gentiles, the same thing happens later on in the book of Acts. But the church has been given the Holy Spirit once and for all. And when someone embraces Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them. And what the New Testament tells us uh, uh, in many places is that we need to, uh, for example, in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we grow, the Spirit uh, influences us more. You know, alcohol, if you're under the influence of alcohol... Uh, you're not in control of yourself. And, and uh, you know, if you're drunk, uh, you're under the control of the alcohol. We are to be under the control of the Spirit, to do what the Spirit desires us to do, to place ourselves under the Spirit. And that's what's being talked about here. The Spirit was having an influence in their lives, and it was showing itself in certain manifestation, bold speaking, unity, a real generosity towards other. Uh, 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 proclaiming the gospel and bringing others to Christ to enjoy the blessings that God's giving out freely. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, two things that we find here in this text that I want to point out to you. I'm not going to do the second one, but I'll mention it. First of all, the first point I want to make is the Spirit-filled church is a place for graciousness. And then secondly, that we'll look at next week, the Spirit-filled church is not a place for hypocrisy. But let's look at this first point, and I've got several sub-points there as well. Uh, the Spirit-filled church is a place for graciousness. And I, and I use that word graciousness specifically uh, because I think it's important. Verse 33 tells us that as a result of, uh, of the 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 filling of the Spirit, and the fact that the Spirit is really working in the church, great grace was upon them all. That's verse 33. What is grace? We talk a lot about grace, and uh, it's one of those religious terms that you can use so often that you lose the meaning of it. You know, we throw it around, but what does it really mean? The word grace means favor or goodwill. In the Bible, it indicates the kindness of our Lord or the favor manifested or bestowed by God. Uh, the fundamental idea 
of grace in the Bible is that the blessings from God are graciously bestowed. They are freely given. And it's not in consideration of any claim or merit. It's a free gift that we don't earn or deserve. So you've probably heard before someone say that grace means unmerited favor. And that's so true. It is a favor given by God, a blessing by God, uh, goodwill from God to you that you didn't earn or deserve. You didn't do anything for it. I've given you uh, Louis Burkhoff's, uh a bit of his definition as he analyzes the word grace in the Old and New Testament. He says in most of the passages in which the word charis, which is the Greek word for grace, uh, is used in the New Testament, it signifies the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man, effected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. See, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. While we sometimes speak of grace as an inherent quality, it is in reality the active communication of divine blessings by the inworking of the Holy Spirit out of the fullness of him who is full of grace and truth. So see, the salvation that you experience is by grace alone, by God's unmerited favor. It is bestowed upon you by God through the operation of the Holy Spirit in your heart. The Spirit grants you, freely grants you, repentance and faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says it best. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this, that, that pronoun this, what is it referring to? What is this? What is, what, what is it referring to? It refers to the grace, the faith, the salvation. And uh, I, won't, I won't go into an explanation of the grammar here, but there is uh, evidence in the original language, the grammar of the original language, that this undoubtedly does not refer to just one of those things, but to all of those things. Uh, it's a, you know, the explanation is it's a neuter pronoun, and grace and faith are feminine nouns, and there has to be agreement. Unless you have multiples, then you use a neuter pronoun. There you go, for all you uh, linguistic uh, experts out there. Uh, So this, everything, the faith that you exercise, the the grace of God uh, that he's working in your heart, the salvation that you're enjoying is all a gift of God that you neither earned nor do you deserve. It's by grace alone. It's bestowed by God. The fact that we receive all these blessings through God's unmerited favor makes a difference in the way you live your life. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Now look at, uh, I've given you Romans 8, 15 through 17. Paul, talking about spirit, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the Spirit's work is to oppose a spirit of fear. And that's what he says in that verse verse. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So the Spirit opposes a spirit of fear. And if the Holy Spirit is the opposite of fearfulness, the mark of spirit-filledness would, of course, be fearlessness. Fearlessness. But specifically, how does the Holy Spirit make us fearless? Well, Romans 8, 15 through 16 tells us that the Spirit assures us of our being children of God. In the same way, the Spirit assured and empowered Jesus for ministry at his baptism, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This, then, is the nature of spirit boldness. It is a deep assurance of the Father's love for us personally through Christ. So, you know, yes, the Spirit reminds us that we are accepted by God, that we are his children, that he, by his grace, Because of his mercy and great love for us, he's invited us to be his children and we are accepted and pardoned and we're brought into his family and we don't need to worry about what anybody else thinks about us because we have the approval and the love of the highest being in the universe. He calls us his own. Our names are graven in his hands, as the hymn says. We receive this by God's grace. And the Spirit helps us to apprehend that. That God loves us and he has cared for us and he's bestowed upon us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Knowing that God loves you so much and that he freely bestows salvation on you and and every other spiritual blessing, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, that will completely change your life. You know, when you think about that and and really uh, begin to live in line with that truth, Your value system will change, your behavior will change, your attitudes will change. It changes everything. And we can see here how it changed the early church. Three ways. First of all, unity. We see it in verse 32. Because they were a spirit-filled church, it tells us, the the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were of one heart and soul. Um, They had an intense unity that was not just uh, for show, they inwardly were united together. The heart, soul, that refers to the inward self. Who you really are, we might refer to your heart as who you really are. Your soul, that's who you are internally. And these people were united in heart and soul. They weren't just gathering together physically, but they were united together with a common purpose, uh, a common uh, love for the Lord, a common, they were a common family. They were all children of God, not in the sense that they were all God's creatures, but they were children of God in that they had, by grace, been adopted into his family and saved. And they're brothers and sisters now. And this became their chief identity. It was no longer me or mine, it was us. And that caused the petty divisions among them to disappear. They no longer said, well, I'm a, I'm a Jew, or I'm a Parthian, or a Mede, or any number of people who were there at Pentecost. 
They said, we're children of God. We're united in the gospel. And those barriers are broken down. Paul talks about this in Ephesians, about how God has made from, from the Gentiles and Jews one new man. He's broken down the dividing wall between them. And now they're united together. We've been grafted in and we're together. So unity. The, the church had a great unity and bond with one another. Secondly, we see there that not only did they have unity, but because they were a spirit-filled church, they had generosity, verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now some people read this, uh, especially uh, Americans, and uh, with some, some a bit of consternation. Uh, I guess some people would read this who might be communists and think, hey, yeah, the Bible supports communism. This is not communism because it was not something that was uh, enforced on the people by the church. It was voluntary, and we see that in the text. Uh, we point out in verse 32, uh, when they say, uh, they, they, they don't say, they didn't say anything was their own. This refers to an attitude. It's not a legal or ecclesiastical regulation. What's meant here is that each person's heart became so generous that he or she thought of the whole church as having a claim on the personal wealth that God had given him or her. It doesn't mean that church members surrendered all their funds into a common pool automatically, as we see, and we didn't read it, but in, in uh, the account of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they, they are told, and what Ananias and Sapphira did was they sold a field and told the church, we're giving all the proceeds from the sale of this land to the church, but really they were only given a part of it. But they were making themselves look better by saying they were given all of it. So they were hypocrites. It wasn't just that they, uh, didn't, that they kept some of the money back for themselves. It was hypocrisy that was the real problem there. But when Peter confronts them with it, he says, you know, you didn't even have to sell the land in the first place. You didn't have to give to the church. This was not something that you were forced to do. This was something that you chose to do. And, and you're lying to God, you're lying to the Holy Spirit in the way that you went about doing it. So that was the real problem. So this is not a form of communism, but a, a, a transformation of the values. They valued one another over their own earthly goods. They wanted to see everybody flourish. They wanted to meet everybody's needs. They, they loved one another and they, they helped one another in those times of need. Generosity. It's a concern for the other person that overtakes. Hypocrisy, on the other hand, as we'll see next week, uh, is a concern for self. A hypocrite is someone who appears to be something they're not. They're going to great lengths to look good in front of everybody when inside what they are uh, is not consistent with what they are on the outside. The Pharisee was a hypocrite. You know, uh, he looked good on the outside. He tithed. Uh, he didn't hang out with bad people, and he did all these, these religious things, but he was full of pride. Uh, he was full of sin. Jesus told them they, that they were whitewashed tombs, 
They looked good on the outside, but in the inside they were full of dead men's bones. Christianity, spirit-filled, a spirit-filled church, spirit-filled Christians uh, are, uh, are not hypocrites. They're not so concerned with self and how they look. They're concerned about the other person. And that results in generosity towards those who are in need. And it, it is not only with their needs, but with their physical needs of money and provision, but also with health needs. You'll see there at the end of chapter, or the, the latter part of what we read in chapter 5, 15 and, and, and on, that people were bringing the sick and those who had, uh, were possessed by demons and others to, to get healed. See, there was a, an intense concern for those whose lives were broken. See, being spirit-filled and knowing that God has accepted you and that you have received it by God's grace. It's not something that, that you have because you were clever or, or because uh, you caught on or that uh, you're smarter than everybody else or that you're more holy than the next person. No, it's God who is at work in you. God is the one uh, who has done this thing to allow you to be who you are if you are a child of God. It's all of his grace. And when you recognize that it wasn't anything that I did, that I have these benefits, it wasn't anything that, that, uh, that, that makes me more special than everybody else, God has been gracious to me. He has bestowed this upon me, uh, not because it was of my merit, and, uh, and I want to share that with others. I want to point other people to where they can get these blessings. You know, some people, someone said once that you know, Christians are, are just... Uh, beggars uh, who have found bread and we're sharing with the other beggars where they can find it as well. You know, we have freely received it and now we should share it with others because there's plenty to be had. It doesn't run out. You know, if you have a, a gift or if you have uh, somebody's given away free money and, and uh, you say, well, I'm not going to tell anybody because I want it all to myself. See, that, that's the thing about Christianity, about, what, about God's grace. It doesn't run out. There's plenty for anyone who comes. And we can freely say, hey, come and get all you want because God is rich in mercy to all who call upon his name. When you have received this grace and, and you are assured of God's love for you by thinking about that and knowing that, it should cause you to want to give it away to somebody else. There's a great song I, I, I really like that I used to listen to. It said, give it away. When you find a ray of hope that shines like priceless treasure, give it away. When you find the love of Jesus upon you without measure, give it away. That's great, uh, great advice. Give it away. Give it away to someone else. Salvation by grace makes you generous to others. And finally, testimony. And this goes hand in hand with that because they, they not only were concerned about those physical needs of people, uh, they were wanting to share the good news with people. Verse 31 tells us that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness because they were spirit-filled Christians. And verse 33 tells us that with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, again, the unselfish nature of these characteristics, the concern for others. The spirit-filled church is gracious in character. And you know what it's doing, what's happening here, you know, as we are adopted into God's family, by His grace, 
What's happening is that we're beginning to take on the family resemblance. We're beginning to look like uh, our Heavenly Father. You know, Harrison gets tired of uh, every time we go to a family reunion or, uh, or if people from my high school days see pictures that I might post on Facebook and the comment is always, oh, he looks exactly like you uh, when you were 15. So he gets tired of that, but Christians should never get tired of, of, of bearing the family resemblance, of looking like our Heavenly Father, full of grace to others. That's what the Spirit-filled church is like. May we pray that God would grant us to be a Spirit-filled church full of boldness, uh, to testify, full of, of unity, to love one another, full of concern about those whose lives are broken and those who are lost, that we might uh, take on the, the characteristic of our Father and reach out to them with this good news of salvation and of God's grace. Let's pray together.